numbers away to the left. Coles, McKenzie, fires it away to George Bridge. Good cover tackle made. Takalua got across, but McKenzie's in in the corner. Turning it back on the inside to player. They're breaking tackles. Whitelock moves it on to Jacobson. Well, trouble early on here for Donna. Busting through his papa He's away. Four minutes on the clock and they're in again. Kenzie again. They go wide. Rico Ioani gets it away to his brother in here. Christian space. George Britt. He's got Weber with him. And the All Blacks are in again. Three tries in six minutes. Oh, the All Blacks. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Couple Deep. What a guest I have today. One of my favourite Picton men with me. My guest today is no stranger to a microphone. And um, his career to date consists of he's been the reporter for Radio NZ. He's been New Talk, ZB, sports editor and radio commentator. Sports presenter for TV3. Sky Sports rugby commentator. The presenter of one of the great rugby TV shows, Reunion. Rugby Nation TV show presenter, Olympic Games coverage, covered equestrian, funny enough, at the <laughs> Commonwealth Games. We'll have to get into that one a bit later too. He's also the co-author of a successful book, Behind the Silver Fern. It's been a, a big success. And he's also a very sought-after public speaker these days. And believe it or not, he's here today on Couple Deep with Old Hawkey. And it's a true honour, TJ. Oh. Thank you. I Welcome, Dan. Always good to catch up with an old uh, Queen Charlotte College alumni. Yes, right? uh, and you, you've done well, mate. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm real proud of you. You're talking about me there, but uh, you know, I saw you playing uh, for Queen Charlotte College when you were in your last year at school, and to see you forge this uh, professional career that you've done, mate. Uh, I know there's a lot of people down home real proud of you. So. Oh, you know, I probably owe a bit to you, TJ. You've always had my back, and I'm always really appreciate that. And um, just go to current. Um, I know recently you've been down to Picton for your father's funeral. Yeah. Um, sorry to hear about that. Uh, but as you said, you know, it's the end of a life, but you, uh, you caught up with a lot of old mates from down there. Yeah. And I know Picton's very dear to your heart, so. Yeah. Well, I can't think, Dan, of a, any place in the world I'd rather have grown up. I, you know, my dad was, uh, he drove a boat for his living. He, he was, drove the mailboat and then he was the ranger in the Maritime Park and he was a really respected man in the community. Both my parents are down there. And um, so I was, I was able to, when I was growing up, spend a lot of time out on the boat with them. Yeah. Um, but there was so much to do down there when we were kids. I mean, got up to all sorts of mischief. <laughs> yes, but it was really cool, you know. Um, it was sad. He, he passed away. He'd been ill. I was with him when he went. But I spoke at his tonguey, you know, and I got up and I just looked up and I just saw all these people that I went to school with. Mm. And, and that says it all about that place to me. Um, yeah. you, and it, it's always been close to my heart so um yeah I, I always feel i was pretty lucky to grow up there yeah likewise for myself yeah plenty of colorful characters and whatnot um i don't know what it was like back then it was probably more characters to be honest but um yeah it's it was a true uh, you know it was a good town it was a good town yeah well you know during the holidays i'd go down the sounds with dad if he was working but if i wasn't down down the sounds with him you know, we, you'd be going out of the house at half past eight in the morning and you yeah. might come home for lunch. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, you'd be out till half past five, you know, dinner time because yeah. there was just always plenty of stuff to do. I mean, how the heck we got through it without, you know, serious injury. <laughs> oh, I, that's I exactly the same as yeah. me, yeah. Crazy <laughs> stuff we used to get up to. Um, but, yeah, beautiful part of the world and I still get down there as much as I can. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I don't get down there quite as much as I'd like, but, you know, I plan to take my boy down there for a look soon, so... Um, Let's go back to where it all started, TJ, because I feel like some guys in life are born to do a certain thing, to follow a certain path. And um, commentary for you, it just seems like you're born for it and you've got a gift for it. Um, was it always like that from a baby? Were you a little kid with a mic, a little microphone toy or something like that? I was always fascinated by the commentary side of it because um, when I was growing up, it's that long ago that I used to, um, most of it, live would be on the radio not the tv mm, so yeah. I'd, I'd be listening in the middle of the night to uh, the all blacks playing in south africa um or maybe the new zealand cricket team somewhere and and you know it, it really drew me to it i i it, um that was part of my interest in, you know mm. developing in the sports was was listening to it on the radio um and I, but i don't know it just just seemed to happen 
I don't know that I ever sort of intentionally set out to be a sports commentator. I, I was lucky enough to go into a job in radio straight after school. Went yeah. to work at 2ZE in Blenheim, Radio Marlborough. Jeff Bryan, who, who has been, you know, guys had a big career in TV. He was working there at the same time. Um, and then I got transferred away to Tokoroa, which I wasn't very happy about um, because just like a week's notice yeah. and you get to Tokoroa. I'm 18 years old and it sort of felt like all the 18-year-old uh, young women in town were all taken up. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> well, long way from home, long way from the sea. Um, but the the upside of it was, you know, I was doing all sorts of things on the radio station. I was, you know, writing ads and doing air shifts. And then one day they said to me, um, "Oh, the guy that normally covers the rugby, he's away. So we want you to go down and there's a Peace Cup game on where South Waikato and as you know, Tokoroa, they produce so many great players." Yeah. They had the Peace Cup and they were defending it against, I think it was Matamata subunions. And in that team, there was uh, Bam Bam Corteka, Jeff Hines, and Brian Morrissey, all yeah. went on to become All Black Forwards. Wow. And the yeah. first five from Patararu, this 19 year old, skinny 19 year old, with a mop of curly hair and a great set of hands, Wayne Smith. Ah, uh, yeah. And yeah. so I always tell Smithy I discovered him. Um, <laughs> but but I, did the, I just did reports and I thought, wow, this is, this is great. This Loved is what it. I want to do. And it just so happened that about a month later, a job opened up for a trainee in Auckland. Yeah. And, and so, I, mate, I was just lucky. And I think I've been lucky all my career. A lot of people say I'm very lucky to have my job. Um, uh, extremely lucky. <laughs> but oh. no, what I mean is um, the doors just, I, I just, a succession of opportunities arose yeah. over the years. And, I, and, and I've been fortunate enough to be in the right place in the right time to have what a job that I still consider to be an absolute privilege to do and, and and I always said to myself the day that I, I stop thinking that will be the day that I, I give it away and give it you know someone yeah. else a chance yeah I can see in the way you talk about players and stuff that you you can see that you take such pride in it and it's such a privilege for you um, with the radio um, to be honest I'm actually a fan of new talk ZB believe it or not but yeah. I, there's nothing I like to hear better than Michael Laws or Marcus Lush yeah. having a chat with the old public so yeah. um Radio for you, did you end up on the, the talkback ZB? Um, at times, yeah. Like I, I started off, um, you know, I, like I worked in Auckland, I was sort of like a reporter. Then I started, um, I was in Wellington for a wee while. But I went to Dunedin and that was the most important thing that happened. And I remember thinking, oh, gee, Dunedin seems like another place that's a long way away from where I come from. But it was interesting. I just happened to be, it was a bit of a name drop here, but I was with a group of guys at the DeBretz Hotel. Keith Quinn was one of them. Ah, and Quinny. Keith Quinn said to me, you go down there. Uh, there's a guy down there, Bill Francis will be your boss. You'll never regret it. And I didn't. And I went down there and I guess that's where the commentating side of it really started for yeah. me. Great community down there. You're really close to it. And um, and so I guess, you know, that that's kind of where... The, the, I started doing the radio commentating, but I was also used to do the school board program on the uh, Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And, you know, we had reporters around all over the place. And it's one thing that it really bugs me about radio now, um, that everything's networked. Back yeah. then you had a local radio station and, you know, 4ZB was, Denise, and Saturday afternoons was dedicated to covering sport around yeah. Otago. Um, and we had one in Auckland, we had one different ones, all the different stations had their own school board program and they don't have that anymore and it really bugs me because it, people just used to listen, you know, they'd be watching one game and they'd be listening to what was happening in another one and it kept you really close to the to the heart of the game, which was club rugby. Yeah. And we, in fact, um, the guys that I worked with, Steve Davey was one of them, he, he you know, went on to be a very good commentator himself. He, we used to... The group of us, we used to go to a different club every Saturday night. We go to Kaikarai um, one yeah. Saturday, Pirates another Saturday. Just right. and So you had that involvement with club rugby. And it's the best training to do what I do now that you could imagine. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine it. it's sad that that's, that's all kind of gone now. But um, it's funny because my old man and some, some of the old boys, they still actually enjoy listening to the to the games. I, I guess they're only professional games on radio now. Yeah. But he still quite enjoys it. Eh? He's, got a, he's got a TV. Well, I'm pretty sure he does. But yeah. um, <laughs> I was like, what do you, do you, do you watch the game? He's like, oh, no, nah, I listen to Come it on, on the bro, radio. Come on, money you've earned over the years. Surely you can buy Charlie a TV set. Oh, <laughs> you could. He still lives in an old shed, though. He's, he's one of those old, uh, these old purists, eh? But, um, yeah. So, but, yeah, you I was just saying, I think the difference was, or I always felt that, we, you know, because I doing, did it in radio for a long time. I did the um, commentaries, you know, Auckland, Counties Manukau, North Harbour, um, some international stuff on radio. 
And I always sort of felt like on radio, people were listening while they were doing something else. Yeah. So, you know, it might be. I remember um, um, talking to, it was actually the wife of um, Sir Edmund Hillary. I, I actually had a chance to interview him once and, and I was talking to her and she said, oh, yeah. she always used to enjoy listening to the radio commentaries while she was doing the gardening. Yeah. And it, it, I realised <clears throat> quite early when I went to TV that the difference was people listening on the radio, it, it's while they're driving somewhere or they're doing something else. People watching the, on the TV, that is their focus. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and that's why you've got to, you know, really be on your game because it's True. not like background noise mm. or something you listen to for a while. That is their focus. And so if you get something wrong, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll know about it. They'll pick it up. Yeah, no doubt. It's a bit different. When you were just on radio, did you ever have, like, people, you'd meet someone and then they wouldn't know what you look like, but then they heard your voice and they're like, hang on, well, I've heard yeah. that voice somewhere before, you know. It's quite a nice sort of anonymity about it yeah. in a way so you you know you get known around the community and 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 that um of course you when i first went to tv uh i went to tv three um and i was doing the sports news um at six o'clock sports news working with the great john hawksby and uh that everything changed then because it's a really high profile job that your yeah. face is on the tv um and you know tv three news rating pretty well in those days. Um, and so people did know who you were and it did change. Yeah, and that would have changed today. Wow, funny sort of ways too. Like I had a you know, bunch of mates I used to go out with on like Friday nights, but you yeah. go to a bar and, and sometimes, you know, people be nice, but then sometimes people come up and get a bit niggly because, you know, yeah. just because you're some guy on the yeah, TV. Yeah, and that, that took a bit of getting used to, I yeah. have to say. And I never, I promise you this, I never got into it because I wanted to be famous or well-known or any sort of celebrity or anything like that. I, I, I don't like that, that yeah. celebrity culture. It's just not for me. And and I know Nisbo, Grant Nisbo, is exactly the same yeah. thing about it. We're there because we love what we do, not because we want to be famous. Um, and so in the end, when I got a chance to go to Sky, you know, people, yeah, sure, they know who you are, they know your face and that, but I, I don't know, it's, it's sort of, it's a little bit, sort of lower key, yeah. so I can go down to the local pub down yeah, here. Yeah. And people, you're just, you're, like, you're just a guy from the neighbourhood, you know. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned that because obviously Nisbo's one of the legends, over 300 test caps yep. to his uh, name. And um, you both just, you started it because of the pure joy and love you get from sport, nothing to do with fame or any of that. And you, you can tell, you know, you two have gone to the top, so. Well, yeah. he, he's been, um, I mean, he's been doing it for such a long time. And, you know, when I first started, he was one of the guys, you know, in radio, he was also on radio at the time. Yeah. In fact, I first met him when I was in Tokoroa. He was covering the um, six-day cycle race. He used to go up the North Island. Right. And I come into work and I just heard this voice booming out from the uh, the back room yeah. where he's on the phone doing a report on what's happened during the day. And that's when I first met him. And he is. He's a legend. He's got a, a, he's got a fantastic voice. Um, it's just so much experience. And I've been lucky enough um, to, to have travelled, um, you know, for quite a while, um, particularly when it was... Uh, Nisbo Murray Mexted and I, yeah, Murray Mixted. and we um, we travelled, you know, all over, you know, Europe or South yeah. Africa, um, Argentina, and had you know some really great experiences. But you know, he he's a guy who you know I've always looked up to. Yeah, it must be a buzz knowing like guys like yourself and Nisbo. Your voice will be etched in history at certain moments. You know, like there's some famous <laughs> moments. Is that weird to know that your your voice forever? You know, now it will be. A part of these moments, especially if you get it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you don't um, get it wrong if, too often. If you, make, if you make a mistake, that's in history forever too. Yeah, <laughs> um, because to me, that's what it's all about. It's about capturing the moment, telling the story, and and sure, you know, you, you have some some sig significant moments, I suppose, that you get to. I mean, and with me, I've been lucky enough, like for example, to go to the Olympic Games and and um, things like that. Um, I, I don't think I think about it at the time. Mm, yeah. Um, you're really just trying to do it right, nail the moment if you can, and then maybe sometimes you think, oh, it's occurred to me once or twice, but I, I, sort of always, I try not to think about that too much Yeah. other than making sure you've got something to say yeah, yeah. When, when the moment arrives. Um, but I, I don't sit there thinking, oh, gosh, People are going to be hearing this in twenty years' time. I don't. Yeah, I don't think about yeah, it like you that. Can't, that's no, what, else you can't. No, because mind, you'd, yeah, mind fuck yourself a bit. Well, hey. you're focusing probably on just a little bit the wrong thing. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. definitely. Well, like for you, um, speaking of stuff, like do you 
think that commentary has got a big part in the player's career? Because personally, I think a commentator can really prop a player up. Or, like, not many commentators talk bad about players, but, like, you can kind of do things like if the player makes a mistake, uh, you can say something nice about them off topic, something like that. And Because um, I know, I feel like I've had a few games where I haven't played well, but then people, you know, the uneducated rugby person will come up to me and like, oh, you had a great game, the commentators were talking about you and stuff, and then... Then you know you can have a good game, and like the commentators might not have said too much about yeah, it, you. Know what I mean? Yeah. Do you feel like like that? Yeah, I mean it just depends on what else is going on in the game. Sometimes you might get, you know, a certain thing might overshadow. And mm. I always try and and recognise people who've made a solid contribution to the game as well as the ones who make a spectacular yeah. uh, contribution to the game. You know, and you can do that. You you suddenly look up and you find that say Sam Whitelock's made twelve tackles yeah. or fifteen tackles. So you've got those stats. We've got those you? stats right. in front of us and, and they're there to be used. Yeah. And and they can help you just to recognise. Um yeah, look by and large, I always, you always try and be really subjective, objective about it. Um, don't carry any grudge. There was one guy, I can tell you, there was one yeah, guy. Uh, he played for um, North Harbour and he, yeah. I, I first, he wasn't there for very long and I first came across him at Irans where, you know, you yeah, yeah. Murray and, and I thought then he was a bit of a wise guy and he, I saw this comment, he used to wear this headgear and bright coloured headgear and someone, he was asked in a question, why do you wear that bright coloured headgear and he made the comment oh because so the commentators don't get my name wrong or to stop the commentators <laughs> getting my name wrong and I thought well I've done a lot of your games I don't ever remember getting your name wrong and then I sort of thought okay and I almost sort of I got to the point where I thought oh, maybe I'll go through the whole game and I won't mention him at all <laughs> and I thought no nah, that'd be silly but then it just so turned out yeah. that every time the ball went near him he either dropped it or yeah. he missed a tackle or something like that yeah. And I just made sure I got his name right when that happened. It's funny because Dan Pryor, who has been on this podcast last, we spoke about the, his hair and how it's kind of noticeable and helped him oh, out. Yeah. With, and um, it's funny because he did say that if like you're going to do stuff like put the flash headgear on, if you, you, you're going well, you obviously get recognised. But if you're not, it's a double-edged sword, you know, that they're going to have a crack, you know. It's really noticeable. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, you have to, um, I, I guess, you know, certain players uh, – do stand out, but look, you know, part of the job is making sure you know who everyone is, mm. and uh, obviously some guys are easier to recognise, and, and Dan would very much be in that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's something I, I try really hard um, to get right is that identifying the players because yeah. you know they're working really hard out there, mm. and if they do something great and you say it's someone else, well then yeah. you're not you're not doing them justice. Yeah. Um, so I go through. Yeah, talk about the, the preparation on this because I've seen you go through notes of like the Argentinians or the Island Boys names oh, that, that are quite the, tough. I've seen you yeah. going through it like and you break it up and um, what, what's that preparation side I, like? Yeah, well, um, always try and um, have a look. If I've got a game coming up, um, say for example, I'm doing a, a, a Northland Hawks Bay game. Yeah. Then I'll record the, the games that they've played and I'll have a look, just make sure that. Yeah. Oh, right. oh, I wouldn't say I'd look at the whole game, yeah. but, you know, just to make sure I'm, if there are new players there, you get to, obviously, players like yourself being around a while, you get to know, recognise them without having to worry about it too much. But, yeah. you know, you might sort of say, well, this guy wears orange boots or um, that guy might um, have a bandage on his elbow or something like that. Any, anything to help you identify the players. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I usually, you know, as soon as the teams come out, and at certain times of the year, they don't come out till pretty blimmin' late in the week, which, you know, doesn't make it too easy. But I, I write all the teams out. I try and have a little bit of information, yeah. particularly if it's a new player. So a new guy coming into the game, that's a big deal. You know, he, out, he yeah. come, I remember when you played your first game at uh, Eden Park, you came on for, <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for, for Tasman. Tasman. That was your yeah. first game for Tasman. Yeah. And, I mean, it was pretty easy. And I, I said, this is a great moment for the Waitoi Club in Picton. Well, yeah. it's my old club, isn't it? Yeah, so, it is. Um, but to me, you know, that's... And, and I know the other guys are like that as well. You know, a new player making their debut for, the, for that player and for their whanau, yeah. for their club, for their community, you know, particularly coming from a small one, that's a big deal. And so you've got, yeah. you got to recognise that. So I always try and have a little bit of info Um a little, maybe a little story to drop in. You've got to be careful. 
And, yeah. you know, this is going to be the biggest name drop of all. I know, I want it. But the first TV uh, coverage, the first TV commentary job that I ever had was the Hong Kong Sevens in yeah. 1995. TV3 yeah. had the rights. And I went over there and find myself working alongside Bill McLaren, who right. is... Yeah, it's funny because I'm about. I was about to bring that up. We might as well get there right now, just real quickly. I just got a little um, sound grab here, TJ, the great man. Well, he didn't get much distance with that. This is a another superb take. That was marvelous timing. I wouldn't like to be at the bottom of that. Digs <laughs> like a demented mole there. <laughs> That's Josh Cromfeld. That's Josh Cromfeld. He's talking about Josh. Yeah. Because we talk talking about, about the crusher. Yeah. We talk about goats of the, the commentary game, you know, and there's, there's yourself, there's Nisbo, there's Smitty, and then honourable mention to Scotty Sumo Stevens and the late Willie Lose, you know, all yeah. those guys. It's, um, I know as a player, it's what you dreamed of, those guys, you know, uttering your name through the mic. And, um, yeah. And, and this is the one other guy that I think a lot of uh, Kiwi young followers will resonate with because of the game of Jonah Loma Rugby on PlayStation. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if you know that. Yeah. yeah, I do. Well, I know of it. Yeah. I don't do a lot of PlayStation. Um, <laughs> yeah. but Talk look, to me about him. Okay, so Bill McLaren, when I started following the game, there was very little, virtually no rugby on TV from New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and during the summer, you'd see the Six Nations and it would be a week after the game was played. And so the first, only the, the All Black games, you'd, you'd see them, but always yeah. the next day. You would never see them live. But the, the regular, the voice that you became most accustomed to the one was Bill McLaren because yep. you used to get these Six Nations games, you know, and J.P.R. Williams and oh. Peter Brown, this great forward from the, you know, and all this sort of thing. Nuts and us on pom. <laughs> but, but, um... um you know, that, so that voice was one of the first recognisable things Definitely. about the game, the yeah. international game. And it made it really tough. Keith Quinn became the first sort of regular full-time commentator that we had in New Zealand. Great yeah. commentator, Quinny, and a, a great man. But it was tough for him because, you know, people compared him not to another right. New Zealand commentator, but to Bill McLaren. Yeah. Who's the, you know. The goat. The yeah. goat, absolutely. Yeah. And the loveliest man. He's a school teacher, Bill. True. Um and I, I worked with him in, in 1995, and I just, I'm overawed. But I had met him a couple of times before. I'd interviewed him, right. like, just with stars in my eyes mm. at, at the World Cup in 1991, for example. And it was funny because you got two days of sevens coming up. And so on the Friday night, yeah. I'm with the TV3 crowd, and we're just going out to have a, something to eat and a couple of quiet beers. Yeah. And we're going out as Bill and his wife are coming in to the hotel yeah, and he's—I I won't try to do the accent too much, but he's no, going to be shilly shelling a boot for you, lad. You know, you've got a big job to do, and it's basically—I'm thinking, yeah. I really should turn around and go back to my <laughs> hotel room now, because—and Bill had been out like he had—he um, was doing Portugal, and he was only doing them once in the whole tournament. I think it was Portugal, but he'd gone to their training, yeah. so he knew every. He went single to Portugal's player. training. He went to Portugal's training, and I'm going. God, what was I doing at that time? You know, probably yeah. in the in the um, restaurant having the, the, the curry buffet or, buffet or something. And and he showed me his notes, and he was famous for his notes. They used to auction them for charity, and they're yeah. like, you know, half, almost a metre wow. square. And he had all these notes on every single player, and he said, if I use more than half of them, I'm overdoing it. Right. So th yeah. there's a lesson there. You know, yeah, you've got this little story, but don't use it just for the sake of it. You've got to pick the right moment. And if that moment doesn't come, well, you might have to wait until next week or the next time you call those games to use it. So, as I say, it was just one of the great privileges um, that I've ever had to work with that guy. Um, uh, but, you know, and, and, you know, bumped into him over the years. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, you get to know a lot of the commentators from mm. around the world and some of them become really good friends. But obviously... Bill McLaren yeah. stands out. Uh, you know, I say Nisbo. You know, he, yeah. he he's right up there. But but Bill McLaren, absolutely the greatest yeah. we've ever had. I, I agree. He's one. You know, he's he's up in that top echelon with yourself and Nisbo. But he's definitely a very noticeable, legendary Scotsman. Um, would you say? Did you learn a bit off him? Like when you chatted? Well, to him? about the, the you know the need the for preparation. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's something uh, you know. I think a lot of people, particularly these days, when people are very watch with a critical eye, and 
you know, with social media being what it is, you know, yeah. people, everyone's got an opinion the on something. The cancel culture is pretty big now. Well, yeah, but yeah. also people, it's sort of like if a team's not doing well, mm. people want a bit of blood. They want you to criticise. Especially bad. our All Blacks. Well, yeah, and, and if you're not criticising them, they, they say you're not doing their job, not doing your job properly. But I, I defy anyone to go through uh, uh, Bill McLaren any game that he did, he yeah. never criticised the game. Mm -hmm. He never said this is a boring game. Yeah. He would find a way of saying, you know, things have slowed down a little or we're going through a, a t you know, a, a tense period or yeah. a you know, But he'd never, he never criticised the game. He was always very careful. If someone did something stupid, he would yeah. never, like, bag them. Yeah. He would say, oh, he'll regret that or something like that. But, um, and, uh, you know, I think the lesson there, and, and, and a guy who was a mentor of mine early on in my career, Alan Richards, who was a great cricket commentator, he, he, you know, commentated all over the world. He could sit next to the Aussies in Australia or yeah. at Lords with, you know, the BBC yeah, and right. hold his own. He was as good as any of them. And he, he said, you know, you never denigrate the game when it gives you a living. Very true. And I've tried to Wise live by words. that. And I know that people... Get get frustrated because they want to hear you bagging players. It's just how the you know it's how New Zealand is kind of that tall poppy syndrome yeah, thing. It they is actually a bit, enjoy yeah. a bit of blood, but um yeah yeah. To be fair to you, TJ, I, I've never ever heard you slipping. You know you've um you've always I can tell the pride you take in representing that player's family and stuff. And um I think everyone's mum loves you, eh? All the player, <laughs> all the players' mothers love you. I'm my mum on the blow to me. Oh, TJ was saying all these great things right here. I might be a bit biased. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what I said to her too. He's probably a bit biased. Well, Pete, you know, you, you sometimes get, you know, people say you've got favourites and things like that. Well, if, it, if mostly if a players are favourites because I think they're a, they're a good player. I like the, what they bring to the game. Uh, but, you, you know, as I say, you, 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 you try and be fair. And the yeah. other thing too is the pronunciation of the names. I think mm. that's, um, you know, I, I know when I started out, and and you know you go back to the sort of the the, um, the late 80s early 90s, and you're getting a lot of Pacifica players coming yep. in, and at the time I think a lot of the commentators and I, I wasn't sort of really commentating much then, some of the names were a challenge, mm. and there was this sort of tendency to say oh you know whatever's easiest don't you know like really? James, yeah. <laughs> one of our greatest league players James. Lulawai, as he was known, it really should be pronounced yeah. Lulawai. But but True. then the attitude was, look, you know, whatever's easy. But yeah. that's changed now, and I think it's great. The players mm. have a voice. If you don't get their names right, they'll come and say, could you please, you know. Have you had anyone do that to you? Um, oh, usually they'll go through um, uh, someone in the, in, in the media side right. of it, and yeah. they'll sort of, and it's always done very politely. Yeah, of course. Um, I know early on we used to refer to Jerome uh, Kaino. Mm. A lot of people did, but it was pointed out that it's really more Kaino. Yeah. Kaino, sort of, you know. Um, yeah, but for the most part, I think you avoid that by asking before yeah. the game, not yeah. finding out after the game. So if you've ever gotten any, any doubts, and, you know, they had that, that say my name thing, which was yeah. awesome. You Talk know. to me about that. Or was well, that was the players yeah. going um, sort of, you know, for example, James Lynch's, you know, yeah, Lynch, yeah. it's Lynch's, no cheese, because people were calling him Lynch's. Right, yeah, I don't yeah. even know that. I know James. Yeah, um, and just, it, it was more done as a sort of a, a for the general public as yeah. well. And, it, and it's great. It just says to me that, um, you know, this is, this is very much part of the everyday, you know, language of, of this country. Yeah, and and um, it's 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 a respect thing too. You got to get definitely names like right. that, that. You know, that's all those players' ancestors were called by that name, and it's I think it's yeah. pretty important to get that name right. Yeah, there. yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, if we move on, TJ, um, we we spoke off um off camera and stuff about your first All Blacks game that you commentated. Huh. Go on, that was a good yarn. Yeah. Okay. So you know, for quite a few years, I'd been doing the sideline job. And so it was Nisbo calling, Murray McStead, myself. And then we were in South Africa and they had two tests that year. One at Loftus and they won there. And then they they played at Rustenburg and we're like, where the hell's that? I reckon. And the, we stayed at um, Sun City. So you get drive right up into the high felt and Sun City was this amazing sort of resort there. 
with a golf course designed by Gary Player and about four hotels there. And then about a two-hour drive away, you come to this village, and it really is just a village. But the local tribe there are quite wealthy because they managed to get their land in a trust, which was a very rare thing in, in South Africa. And yeah. so when they discovered platinum, wow. it was a bit of a windfall. So even though they, they, they still live quite modestly, the people there, they've got this amazing stadium. It's just in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and that was and, and what happened was um, Nisbo had to come back to New Zealand for a family uh, bereavement, and so I found myself calling the game. And uh, it just so happened that the, the All Blacks lost it. Um, there was a, I can't remember, there was a late um, penalty or something like that, mm. and so they lost. And then, that, but so my first All Black full commentary, where I was the main commentator, they lost. And then the next one, the, I think it was the, the, the following year or a couple of years later, they played the Barbarians at Twickenham, at the end of year tour, and Nisbo went home, and I called that game, and it was a sort of second string All Black team, but they lost that. <laughs> oh god! And then the next year was 2010, and I did the famous Beaver game at uh, Hong Kong, yeah. when uh, the game that sort of made Stephen Donald uh, infamous, and luckily a story with a really, really happy ending for yeah, such a great awesome guy. Awesome ending. Um, but I called that game as well, and so. Ken Laban started calling me Ofa because I was Ofa three. <laughs> My first three games, um, all black test matches, they lost. And then the guy who was the executive producer for rugby at Sky at the time was a real fanboy. And yeah. uh, when he found out that I was down to do the All Blacks Australia semi final at the 2011 World uh -oh. Cup, he goes, That's it, we're going to lose. <laughs> he says, Robbie, you'll be happy. I'm going, Why? He said, Because you're commentating. Every time the All Blacks play, you lose. So, yeah, I guess I was a little bit... Uh, you managed to get that quite record pleased on to track. get the, that monkey off my back. Yeah, yeah, you managed to get it on track eventually because <laughs> uh, I know you've commentated some of the great All Black victories and whatnot. Um, if we go, we keep moving on. Um, talk to me about the TV show Reunion because, as I said, I, I was gutted when that was me and my old man's ritual watching that on whatever night it was. And um, to see it go off here was quite guttering. I was about to send a stern email to Sky Sports <laughs> at one stage there, but... Um, Tell yeah. me, what, what happened there? Well, that was a, the show that I really wanted to do. When I first went to Sky in 1999, Stephen McIver had been doing it, and I just you know, thought that would be a good one to do, and it just so happened that um, Stephen went off to do another show, and, and so I started doing that. And um, I, I can't – it escapes me when they finally pulled the pin on it but it must have been, I must have done it for 10, 12 years. Yeah, um, yeah, long time. And, and, and it was a program that meant a lot to me. Um, I was very actively involved in, in producing it. Uh, I had a couple of great producers, in particular a guy called Grant Harding, who did it for a long time. And then Charlie Stone, who's a great friend of mine, uh, he produced it. And the whole idea was we wanted just a, a, a wrap-up of the week's action so you could see the highlights of the games but also talk about uh, the flashpoints in the game and maybe if there's a big issue. And we had some, some really big ones. You know, what I was proud of was the fact that someone like Graham Henry or Steve Hansen or Steve Chu would come on mm. willingly for an hour and they would understand that there might be some fairly curly questions yeah. but at least it gave them an opportunity to answer them in depth. Yeah. So we could actually do a, like a 20-minute interview with someone like Ted mm. or Steve Hansen or, as I say, Steve Chu. We'd do that once a year, the sort of the state of the nation type thing. Um, and, and so that, I, I think, you know, people seem to enjoy that. And, and our, I suppose our, our biggest um, scoop or one of our biggest scoops, Marcus Kennedy, who's, who's now one of the executive producers, um, of, or he's the executive producer at Live Sport. Back then he was sort of a young guy working, doing a lot of the replays, we found the eye gouging of Richie McCaw Ooh, right, at the, right at the end of the, of the final yeah, in 2011. Yeah, I remember that. There wasn't time during the game for them to focus on it because it came yeah. right at the end and there was too much going on. Right. And we dug that out and that caused a bit of an international oh, furore. That, that, that did. Um, so I, I was sort of thought, you know, the, the strength of that program was that we had people working behind the scenes who would go that extra mile yeah. to get you know what we needed to do whether it was a, a live hookup with someone you know we somewhat somehow we came into possession of a a bit of vision from when the hurricanes were playing the sharks 
and and one of the Hurricanes guys booted the ball into the grandstand, mm. and I swear to God, from this this was a uh, a taken from a um, it wasn't part of the TV coverage. I suspect it was one of the Hurricanes cameras. You could see the ball sailing twenty meters, or sorry, twenty rows into the stadium. Yeah. And then the ball boy hands a different ball to the guy on the sideline right in front of the referee, who I think was Marius Yonker, yeah. and he threw the wrong ball and, and the Sharks scored the try and it won the game for them. Oh, so they did a quick throw. With the wrong ball. Right. And, right. And, yeah. and you can't do that. You didn't you couldn't find that vision off that those are the sorts of things that used to happen because yeah. people would offer them up to you. But in the end, um, look, it you you know about television that nothing lasts forever, mm-hmm. and you're going someone's going to come along and they'll have a different idea, and we've got a new um, executive producer came in, uh, a guy came in from another from overseas, uh, he was a good guy, um, but he had different ideas about it. He thought, and, and he was one of those guys who really liked player-driven things. He liked mm-hmm. the, the the presenters to be ex-players, right. and so. Um, in the end, they they made the change. Um, I wasn't happy about it. Yeah, I, that's I bullshit in my you. opinion. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> but but you know you have to take it. But yeah. I, I wasn't happy because we, you know, it become a real. Uh, it was my. I used to refer to it as my baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, you know, also accept that things change. Different people have different ideas, mm. and so. I then I did Rugby Nation after that, and I was happy doing that. that again, I was working with my mate Charlie and, and a guy yeah. called Chris Bright, and it was just three or four of us, you know, quick turnaround. But we, we got some some great results out of that too um, until, again, <clears throat> they made the change to that as well, um, shortened it up a bit. <clears throat> and so um, I, I don't do quite so much um, front-of-camera stuff. I'm probably getting a bit old, a bit grey around the edges. Never. but. Um, yeah, look, rather than I'm not, I don't look back and say I'm bitter about what happened, I, yeah. it's not no point. Um, but I'm proud, yeah, to have been able to do that for as long as so I did. So, you should be TJ as a legendary show. Um, going, going back to the show reunion, obviously, on a personal note, um, I ended up winning a scholarship, the reunion scholarship yep. to go to Ireland, and um, that come for me at a, at a pretty crucial time because I was at a small school. And I was kind of getting a few few offers and questions whether to go to Marlborough boys or Nelson boys because, you know, I really wanted to go far in footy and um, they were quite tempting offers, I suppose, but that option of, like, uh, selling out and not being with my, my good mates just was off the table for me. So I stayed at Queen Charlotte, you know, I love my boys there. But um, I was kind of, you know, i got to admit in the back of my head, I was wondering if I made the right decision. And um, then that kind of come along when I heard that you have offered me a... Um, a scholarship to go to Ireland and stuff. And um, I think it just uh, confirmed me I made the right decision because to have s- someone with a bit of skin in the game like you actually looking over me and um, just knowing that someone like you was watching, even a guy from a small school, mm-hmm. uh, school was huge for me. And it, um, yeah, it was massive, TJ. I always thank you for that because um, that was, it was cool, man. Well, I remember, um, I remember coming down, we did a, a fundraiser because I think you guys were going off on a tour Australia, somewhere. Yeah, to Australia, yeah. And I'd been, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll just branch out because I'd yeah. been in a first 15 from Queen Charlotte. We went to Fiji in the uh, oh, mid-70s yeah. and that's the first time our school had been anywhere. We'd get as far as Kaikoura or Otaki. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, about yeah. as far as we get. And we raised all our own money. No, Not one single person in that team had the money given to them you know, to go. Yeah. And we went off to Fiji and we played about four games, I think. But back in those days, the great thing about Fiji was um, duty-free shopping. So you couldn't buy ghetto blasters and New Zealand watches. You know, they're really expensive. They're a lot cheaper over there. And so we spent all our, um, you know, all the money we'd saved, our our spending money, we spent it all (laughs) when we were in a a place called Korolevu and near Singatoka. We all went to Singatoka and we came out. And me and Colin Timms, my great mate from... Yeah, Timsey. Uh, Timsey, yeah. yeah. We, and Alan Dejou, who was the captain. We all bought these ghetto blasters. They were the early version of a ghetto blaster, yeah. you know. And But the trouble is that gassed a lot of our spending money. And so what we started doing was, was the hotel we were in, it was too expensive to eat in the restaurant. So you'd eat everything. Breakfast was paid for. We'd eat everything on the breakfast menu. And then at lunchtime, you might buy a bit of fruit or something. And then in the evening... 
you'd just get together with your roomies and someone would buy a loaf of bread and someone would buy a tin of sardines Humble. or something. Yeah. And you'd share it all. And it was cool. But then one day, Jukebox, our captain, comes back from the local shop and he's got a chicken. And yeah. it's like, what's that? And he goes, well, it's a chicken. Yeah. But it's like it's dead and it's got no feathers, but that's it. It's not cooked. <laughs> and I'm going, what, what's that for? Is this for dinner? Yeah. Okay. Um, have you had a look around the, the room we're staying in? There's no stove. There's no, hot, you know, there's no pans, nothing like that. <laughs> so we you didn't go raw on it, did you? No, we yeah. stuffed it in the electric jug and boiled it. <laughs> I've heard this yarn yeah, actually. Yeah. I have actually heard this yeah, yarn. Yeah, so we boiled it. it in the electric jug for about two hours. Yeah, and ate it. And how did I'm, that go? Well, if you ate it, if you try to do it now, you probably die. <laughs> but yeah, it it it, it, it worked for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We boiled chicken. Man, all the guns was coming out the top of our coach walked in at one stage and he just saw these two sort of the legs of the chicken sticking out the top of the jug and all this guns flowing over it like some sort of volcano and he just shook his head and walked out. But it, oh, I thought it was pretty resourceful. But yeah, so getting back to, yeah, so I come back down to Picton to do this fundraiser. Barney Thomas, who was a great friend of mine at school, yep, a guy who was played rugby and, and cricket for New Zealand secondary schools, um, but unfortunately got a lot of injuries, but he's now really big in the um, whakatū, the iwi over in Nelson. Um, and Barney and I did this fundraiser, and they said in the afternoon, come and watch the first 15 play. So that's when I saw you play. And Murray was always, you know, we had this reunion scholarship, so we were always on the lookout for young players mm. to give them the opportunity to go to IRANs, get some specialist coaching in their position, but also learn a little bit about... Uh, the, just the wider picture yeah. about the potential um, for, to, to be a, a professional player, um, you know, uh, how to perhaps express yourself well, all that. That's just where I came in. Mm. And so um, I said to Murray, I said, look, I think I might, uh, I might have a candidate for you. <laughs> and we, with some help, um, and we had a, an endorsement not only from your coach, but I think Kieran Kane. Oh, yeah, Kano. Kano, yeah. he... Sure. Definitely put in a word, yeah, um, and because he was more associated with Marlborough College in those yeah. days, yeah, and and of course um, the Marlborough team then Tasman, but um, and yeah, so that's that's how that happened. So I was I, I was stoked that um, oh, so was I. Not yeah. only because it, it was an opportunity for someone from my school, um, and but it also from my my town. But you know, as I said before, mate, I just you, you took the opportunity and, and you ran with it. And that's the most important thing because once you get that opportunity, it's all up to you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, TJ. And it's um, it's probably something I really needed at that time too because I was pretty rough around the edges. You know, I hadn't really had proper co – like I've had, had good coaches but not that, that next level kind of yeah. getting – digging deep into the technicalities of the game and stuff. Well, that was Murray's thing, wasn't it? Yeah. That Murray was very much into position-specific coaching. Yeah. And so that he'd have a coach there for each, pretty much each position. Yeah, oh, I, I worked. Um, I did some work down there for him for for quite a few years. I really found it very rewarding. And, you know, yeah. I think the first group um, that I was involved with, um, just giving them some you know, skills about how to do an interview or how to do a speech yeah. or how to present themselves. You know, a lot of kids are shy. They look down when they're talking, you know, yeah, they yeah. hold their head up so people can see them. But Jason Eaton was one of the, um, oh, one true, of the, yeah. the first group. And I think Craig Clare, he went on and played a lot of rugby down south. Yeah. Um, and I, look, mate, the biggest one of the lot probably was um, um, Francois Stein. I was going to mention him because he's a bit legendary around Iran's because apparently they've got that in, inside bit and it's got like a bit you can see through. Apparently he did a drop kick into it and smashed it. Oh, like, yeah. They couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like. Murray, I always said, used to say to Murray, I said, is there, you know, a standout? Because one of the things when you're, when you're doing these um, presentation things, you're looking for leadership potential. Mm. Yeah. And, and how players express themselves can be a factor in that. And I said, is there a standout? And he goes, oh, yeah, this boy from South Africa, mate, he's just going to go all the way. And uh, I made a point of having a chat with him. And it turns out um, he was a... Their family used to watch Reunion every week because it was right. really popular in yeah, South Africa. Of course, Africa. TJ, it's a but, legendary Well, show. yeah, but <laughs> they liked it because I think there wasn't so... There, there's always a little bit of a political overtone in South Africa about oh, how much you can the, say and yeah, that, whereas we yeah. tended to be able to speak our minds. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he goes, Tony, um, would it be all right if I got a photo with you? <laughs> and I'm going like, mate, 
the time's going to come well i'll consider it a favor if you even nod in my general direction you know you could just tell this guy's going to be one of the greats of the game but you know that, that, that was pretty cool because i've seen him over the years and yeah. always says hello always legend, stops yeah, and talks. Yeah. great player great i, I know he's he, he's um got his critics in south africa but i always thought you know great great player and, and fortunate to have met him when he was such a young man Oh, you can't deny. Didn't he hit a drop kick from about sixty-five out or something? Oh, he could always he could kick oh a ball, goodness. right? He could kick a ball, big guy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, you, could, you could tell he when he found a good paddock in the off season. But <laughs> yeah, those are actually most of the South African guys in my experience are really, really great guys. Yeah, a lot of humility about them. Really um, polite. Yeah, respectful. Uh, express themselves really well and always carry themselves really well. You know, they always dress smartly. And, you know, I, it's just, it's a place I l I've always loved going to. Such a beautiful country, eh? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, we spoke about it earlier. It's just like, it just seems crazy what's going on there because it is such a beautiful yeah. country. And, um, yeah, it's when I played there, we were speaking about it too. And you said in commentary, just um, like the atmosphere is crazy and just the, the actual, the high felt, the oxygen, you know, that was actually yeah. a huge factor, something I never um, even thought about. But I consider myself reasonably fit, but, um, man, I got into that thin air and I was like, holy, I'm in a bit of trouble here, you know? Yeah. Well, even, even uh, you know, first times going over there, even just sort of walking around a bit, you find it, you know, you get the dry throat and yeah. all that. But I had some great experiences there. And, you know, to me, um, those that it all started with me listening to the All Blacks in South Africa, yeah. Um, on the on on the radio, or then in '76, it was on the TV, and so to actually go to those places, like Kings Park and Ellis Park and Loftus, I, um, 2002, the <laughs> the All Blacks played at uh, Kings Park, yeah. and they had lost to Australia, and so they needed to win, probably with a bonus point, to win the. Um, when the uh, the rugby championship was it was the Tri Nations in those days, that was the game where the guy came out on the field and and jobbed the ref. Um, you oh, that? Yeah, Peter, yeah, yeah. Peter uh, from Potchers from That's Peter right, Picton yeah. Sale, I think was his name. And you mentioned it. And he, um, the crowd was boiling, and I'm down on the sideline, and and it's basically I've got a, a low sort of fence just behind me. I'm sitting down at ground level. And the, the ref did make two or three really big calls that went against South Africa. I know they complain a lot, and it's like these days, it's like they never lose, um, you know, without the referee getting the blame. But <laughs> back then, I think they had a, a Brayton Paulson scored a great try, and he ruled it out, and it was a tough call. And then Tana got awarded a penalty try for a high shot, and that was... Mm, and then the crowd, you could tell, you know... Yeah. Well... Turns out they were boiling. I had headphones on, and then this guy runs. He jumps the fence, and it was simply because the the thing that broke the camel's back was that there was a, a, a scrum feed that, that yeah. everyone thought should have gone to South Africa went to the All Blacks, and he goes over the fence and he charges out there and he, and he knocks over the ref, and then Richie McCaw grabbed him and sort of wrestled him to the ground. But then uh, um, AJ Fenter came in and snotted him. Just, and the, so this guy's coming off. He's got blood pouring out his nose. He's got his gut showing underneath. It's just it's a horrific sight. And, the, you know, that sort of kind of, that was the eruption. Yeah. And as soon as the game, what happened was that um, Aaron Major scored a try right in the last minute. And it was a bonus point try. Broke the deadlock. All Blacks won the game. And I, I, I don't know. Maybe involuntary, I just might have given it a little fist pump or yeah. something. I, I, you know, I always tried not to do that, but I think under <laughs> the circumstances, I, I, all it, it did was the people behind me just suddenly I became. Oh, they the target. reacted to yeah. you doing the fist pump, and, but I didn't yeah. know. I just went like that or something, but yeah. I, I didn't know that they'd seen it. And next thing, Rick Salizo was over there, and he comes up to me and he goes, "Come on, let's go." At the end of the game, I said, "Yeah, yeah, mate, I'll just pack." He said, "No, no, let's go now." Yeah. And, and I'm packing up my stuff. He said, he grabbed me and he said, we're going. And I look around and there's all these people shaking their fist at me and pointing. And one of these guys, this old man, yells at me. He goes, you tell that Tana Umanga, he is a puff. 
<laughs> oh. I took me quite a few years before I actually told Tana that, passed that message on. But yeah, that was enough. like a. But you know, the great thing about it was, afterwards we went into the car park because that's the great thing about Kings Park, huge car park, and afterwards mm. everyone's got the bry, the barbecue set up, and, yeah, man. and there's this awesome. And within an hour of the game finished, everyone had forgotten about that, and we were just rugby fans enjoying each other's company and as one of the great experience what you know what had been a very controversial almost sort of quite an ugly afternoon turned into a great night yeah did you have your own security team as no no nah, you didn't nah. I, I know when you play over there <laughs> no, I had Rick Salito <laughs> oh that's enough eh? big, Rick in, big Rick in the front line um sometimes in Cape Town uh, people just get very exuberant yeah it's not dangerous it's not threatening uh it Never been threatening, um, but they get so wildly excited because you mm. know they, a lot of them they support the All Blacks. Mm. So it goes back to the um, days of uh, back in 1970 when um, New Zealand Rugby Union finally sort of grew up here and told South Africa we're not sending teams over unless our Māori players can come as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and so the a lot of the Cape coloured community yeah. started supporting the All Blacks, and a lot of them still do. And oh, so they wow. get yeah. these are the guys that. Um, when the bus arrives. Yeah, yeah, um, I am that far out. Yeah. It's so hectic, yeah. It's quite eye-opening, eh, when you yeah. first turn up in the bus and that. Because it's funny because the plate went, I think pretty much every super team has the, um, the same security guard. He's a bit of a legend. Oh, yeah, I know the guy. I, I, I forget his name yeah, now. Yeah. But, um, Big guy, yeah. Man, he, he's got some hectic stories, you know. He's, he's lived a hard life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. If we move on, TJ, um... Apart from being on the Couple Deep podcast with me, what's your highlight of your broadcasting career? Um, I couldn't couldn't put it on one. Couldn't put it on one. Anything that comes. Well, to there's mind? a few. Um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to go to the Olympic Games. Yeah. And I finally, I'd had a bit of bad luck, and in, in, uh, it was almost like the start to my test calling. Um, Barcelona in 1992. I was doing a commentary of the equestrian final when Andrew Nicholson and Spinning Rhombus went berserk and knocked over everything and they went from sort of gold medal to bronze medal in the space of about 40 seconds. Yeah. Um, how do, tell me how does a man end up commentating equestrian well, as a rugby commentator? I, I took off um, 1988 to 92. I worked in London for Radio New Zealand as a correspondent over there and so I was covering a lot of sport. Yeah. This was pre-internet days and so, you know, people relied on reports being sent back to find out how Susan Devoy was going in the World Squash Champs or right, how yeah, yeah, Paul MacDonald and Ian Ferguson were doing in the canoeing champs and whatever. And so I covered a whole lot of sport over there and just so happened that we had a great equestrian group over there at the time. And so I started going to the badminton horse trials and actually really loved it. Um, they were I didn't know anything about it before I started going there. I had to learn all about it, but they were really Awesome bunch, like yeah. big party goers. Yeah, big parties. Um, but so I also love love the, the the work as well. You get to know them, and so um, I went to the World Equestrian Champs in Sweden, um, and they won two gold medals. And we thought, God, we're going to win the gold mm. medal in Barcelona, but it didn't happen. The, the other thing, the TJ Curse came back. Oh, maybe, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't until, and then I went to London, and I just only did equestrian there, and we were winning gold medals, including one to another good Picton boy, Joe Sullivan. Oh, of but course, I, I, legendary I, yeah. rowing race, that one. But I wasn't, yeah. doing the, I wasn't doing that. I was doing the equestrian, and we didn't get a, a gold medal. We got a, uh, we got a medal, but not a gold medal. They had a good party after that, too. So That's finally, it. when I went to Japan, I got to call New Zealand winning a gold medal at the Olympics. Who my, was it? That was the sevens. Ah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was the... the um, you know, the, the, the wahine, it was amazing, uh, even though there were no people in the crowd, uh, which was, that was, you know, big shame, but that was, yeah, that, that was, that, that'd be right up there. Yeah, wow. Um, and I, I loved the 2015 World Cup. Uh, I worked for ITV. S Sky had, you know, crew, Nisbo, Smithy, Marshy, Jeff, they went over there, but I'd got asked to go and work for ITV yeah. And and so I was doing the international uh, pool coverage, and so I was calling games with Joel Stransky, yeah. and uh, you know, Legion. well, yeah. Apart from that drop goal that he kicked in 1995, <laughs> Ooh, uh, yeah, fast. <laughs> <laughs> but great guy, and Chris Patterson, old Mossy, who's a Scotland winger, 
And I was doing all the different games, like um, rather than just doing the All Blacks, you know, Samoa, South Africa, or I went down to Tonga against um, Namibia somewhere, and and yeah. some big ones as well. And and I really, I really loved that because I was travelling all over Britain. World Cup in France was good too in 2007 until obviously we got to yeah. <laughs> Cardiff. But I, I, I just think, you know, any time you get to, to do something like that, yeah. great. I, I couldn't possibly Can't pick out one moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The nah. biggest fluke probably was at Barcelona. I did the track and field, but I was only reporting. They said, oh, we don't need any commentary. We'll just, just do reports. And then they're lining up for the 100 metres final. And it was due to be like 10 to 6 in the morning New Zealand time, or 5 to 6. So I thought, well, by the time they cross to me, it'll be over and I'll be able to say who won. Yeah. And then um, there were two false starts. And I thought, God, they're going to cross to me just as, <laughs> yeah, just oh, as it started. Shit, yeah. <laughs> and so I quickly wrote down the names. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, I actually called the final of the 100 metres live. I don't know how I got away with that. <laughs> I'd only I'd only had about four hours sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I can imagine. I can imagine TJ. Mm. But uh, oh, bro, it's um, it's been a heck of a career you've had. It's funny because you you say stuff like you're honoured to meet people and you're you're quite buzzing out that they were they wanted a photo of you and stuff. But I don't think you realise um how much of a legend you are and how iconic you are in New Zealand rugby. Um, I've, I've known a lot of players and. I haven't heard one say a, a bad word about you, you know, because um, there, there has been in the past, there's been some commentator player conflict, but with you, you've never never caught slipping and you've always represented the player and their family, as you say, so well. Um, yeah, it's a real credit to you. Like, oh. it's, it's just, it's the truth, TJ. <laughs> well, it's, it's really nice of you to say, Dan. I mean, I, as I say, I, I, I just always thought it was just a, such a privileged job to have when you're in a position where you're able to do something that that you love and obviously love the game, but there's an excitement too about doing the um, the live coverage, you know, and, and again, if you ever turned up for a game and you don't feel that excitement, it's it's time to to call it a day. But, oh, you know, I've, I've been really lucky. I've had, I've had good people that have had my back. I think that's really Crucial important yeah. all through... Um, and I, I mentioned um, to Bill Francis, who was my boss, and Dunedin, Kevin Cameron at, at, at Sky. You know, these are guys who've had my back all the way through. And I'm just lucky that, you know, the old Steve Winwood thing, when you see a chance, take it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, mm. it's sort of, I also think the most important game is, is your next one. Yeah, yeah. So well, I was going to come to that question of like, you say you're gonna. It's a feeling when you're gonna finish up. Do, do you? So you just basically you're gonna keep going until that feeling of excitement goes. Well, or it'd be you nice, you know, to to make the decision uh, to sort of say, all right, time's up. I feel like I've still got a few years left in me. Oh, many at the moment. Um, well, I'm in my sixties now, um, but. As I say, as 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 long as they keep having me, um, but but again, <laughs> it's like know. me and rugby. As long as well, they keep having me, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and look, it, it's you know, who knows what the next few years are, are going to have in store for New Zealand rugby. Um, you know, it, the game's I think reaching a really important phase where I think they've got to make some decisions about the spectacle. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think they've really got to take the ball by the horns there. They've got to do something about all these stoppages in the game and people trying to slow the game down yeah. and the game being over-refereed. Um, and, you know, other things as well. It's it's harder and harder to keep our good players in New Zealand. Um, hopefully they'll be able to do that. But you know what? No matter what happens in this game, always you might go through a little period where it's a bit going wrong with it. It happened in the early 80s in New Zealand, you know, the Springbok Tour and the spinal injuries and all that. But it always seems to find a way Comes back. of coming back. Mm. And it'll always be, I mean, I love lots of sports, but it'll always be the game that I love. And uh, as I say, it's just, mate, it's just a, it's just an absolute privilege to be able to be, you know, part of it. Well, TJ, it's, it's a privilege. I'm speaking probably for all the players to have you out of their name over the mic and um, 
you know, I speak for the players and their families and their mums, as I said, that... Um, yeah, mums are important. <laughs> yeah, keep definitely. the mums happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we'd all just like to thank you, bro. You're, um, you've always given everyone a fair shake and um, represented the, the person you're talking about really well and um, you ought to be very proud of your career. And um, I know as a proud Picton man, it's crazy you've come from a small town to go on to these heights and um, just even this is the second solid favour you've done for me and um, <laughs> to have me you know right. around to your house for a podcast it's um truly humbling humbling and um something i'll never forget so really appreciate it tj and um thank you for coming on man it's a pleasure brother